from Byron, Mississippi, it's Lakeshore Church. Would you give a Lakeshore Church welcome to Dr. David Watson as he comes and shares today? Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. This is a treasure. And just to come back here and talk to you again, share the great love of Jesus we have so many times. The thrill of my life was to be here for 28 years. To feel your love, you've given me a lot of it. In time of sorrow, in time of victory, time of failure, I have felt your lift of your prayers, not 28 years, but now it's 38 years, I think. (laughs) And uh, I, I appreciate it so much. God bless you. Well, some of you have asked me to sing a song, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to hang around after, after lunch, and I'll sing you a song or two right here if you've got time. But I don't want to keep you longer than you want to be here. But I do want to introduce you to a man that's so blessed and helped me in the Scriptures. In 2 Peter 1.1, he's introduced as Simon Peter, the apostle and servant of the Lord Jesus. The first time I met him, dawn was breaking on Galilee. He was a rustic sort of a man, Simon was. His face was framed in a rather untidy, untidy beard. A thousand sunsets were against his brow and judgment thunder under his tongue. No one around Galilee would have thought this man would ever be a preacher. I mean, his hands were better known for fighting than for lifting, and his lips were better known for swearing than for praying. But a preacher, he made one of the best the world's ever known. And it began that morning when that tall Galilean from Nazareth came over the brow of the hill. And with him was a host of people. Thousands had emptied the little villages around Galilee and were following Jesus. In fact, there were so many of them, they almost pushed him into the blue waters. And that's when he turned to Peter and said, can I borrow your boat? Well, Peter, I don't know how to handle that, but he let him borrow it. He pushed out a distance, and from that rocking platform, Jesus preached the matchless truths. And when he finished, he came back to the shore and asked Simon if he had caught any fish. And Simon might have been known for swearing, for fighting, and all the things that a fisherman may do. Not all of you. (laughs) But he said, no didn't catch anything. So you could not accuse him of being a liar because if there's anything a guy lies about, it's fishing. I mean, from the time a fish is caught until it's reported caught, it's already doubled both in size and weight, hadn't it? But he said, no. Jesus said, well, launch out into the deep and cast down your net. That's when Simon must have cocked his head sideways and looked at Jesus and thought, what in the world do you know about fishing on Galilee? I can tell by looking at your hands. You're a carpenter, not a fisherman. 
Besides, those of us experienced fishermen here know you catch them in the shallows of the daytime. Only at night do you catch them in the deep. But there was a charisma about Jesus. Something magnificent about his message and the tone of his message that created a love for a man he knew, Peter did, that Jesus had never met him. I'll try it. He risked his reputation as a good fisherman on the word of Jesus. Cast down his nets. Fish started lining up to get in. He brings so many fish he had, he had to get his brother Andrew, who was a partner with him in that enterprise, to break another boat. <laughs> Came all the way to the shore and walked up to Jesus. And like a man struck in the solar plexus, he hit his knees. Depart from me, sir. sir. I'm a sinful man. You say, when do you think old Simon was converted? I believe it was then and there. With the mist of the sea in his hair, bowing before the master, whom he obviously recognized something of the Godhead, he confessed his sins. You say, well, I'm not sure of that. He sure gotten some crazy things after that, didn't he? Yeah, we've all read about that. I have an idea that most of us have been converted, have had to go back to an altar of prayer somewhere. But old Simon, I think, started following Jesus because the Master invited him. Years passed. The Lord didn't have but three years, you know. Isn't that astounding what he did in such a short time? But I guess maybe after two or so, he's got his disciples together and they're already pretty well tuned in to his message. But he goes aside because he wants to rest. Sometimes you have to get away from it all. And if you don't do that, you'll come down yourself. So they were talking, just the disciples and Jesus, and he raised the question, whom do men say that I am? Now, he had been preaching around all these places. He wanted to know what's the impact on the congregations, on the populace. And every one of them had an answer. One said, I overheard some men talking about you the other day in Tiberias, and they thought you preached so strong and powerful, you might be Elijah, the prophet, come back from the dead. Another said, well, some ladies were discussing you at Magdala, and they thought that because you preached sometimes with a trace of a tear in your eye, you might be Jeremiah, the prophet. <laughs> Almost every one of them identified as one of the ancient Hebrew prophets. I don't know, the Lord might have chuckled at that, but it's getting serious too. I mean, they believed the reincarnation, didn't they? So he then turned to the men himself and asked them, whom do you say that I am? Now, if I'm glad he asked the first one, I'm double glad he asked that one, because if anybody could know who Jesus was, it'd be the people who were with him. Watched him in the morning when he got up, in the evening when he went to bed, when he was struggling with 
a word dilemma that men were using to trap him when he stood with his, his life in front of him because eagle men already had stones in their hands. They saw him. His actions and reactions. That's why I have such respect for pastors and ministers who go to a church and stay there for years and give their time and life to it. Those people know him. If you want to know if somebody, be around them enough to watch them and don't judge them too quickly. They might be as imperfect as you. <laughs> but the fact is, nobody's really said anything when he asked that question. Whom do you say that I am? They were as silent as stones. And then Peter spoke up. The one we were talking about. He looked at Jesus right into the face. And he said, thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. I think a quietness dropped over that crowd now for sure. And then Jesus got up from where he was seated walked around to where Jesus was, or where Peter was, took him by his broad shoulders and shook him. God bless you, Simon. You didn't get that from flesh and blood. You didn't pick it up at the seminary. You got that from the Father. That is a revelation of God. Have you come near enough to really believe in the spirit of your heart that Jesus is the Christ? The Messiah, the Savior of the world. I don't know how far from God you may be, but if you're anywhere near that, you aren't far from the kingdom. It's just the next step of saying, oh God, here's my life. I can't do anything with it. Well, you say, I'm still not convinced he was converted. Well, he knew who Jesus was. <laughs> well, a little later. They were meeting with a group of people on the other side of Galilee, and a great crowd had come there too. In those days, there were four basic philosophies among the Hebrew people. They were of the law, but you had first the Pharisees. They were the ultra-conservatives. I mean, they had everything figured out. You couldn't even swat a fly off your nose for fear of setting off an unnecessary breeze. The Sadducees were there. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. Think of that. You died to be forever dead. The Stoics were there. These were the stiff and starchy ones. They wouldn't dare show emotion of any kind. We get to a level of emotion, and whether it's good or bad, that's where we are. Their collars had to be washed and waxed every week. <laughs> then you had the Epicureans. They were the full gusto people of that day. They said, let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we'll die. The only problem is they didn't die. <laughs> they kept on living to spread their influence. And every time Jesus said something that pleased 25% of them, there were 75% that didn't like it at all. 
So it wasn't long into his sermon until they all got up and left. Now, I don't know if you got that in the scripture, but read it. It's there. They got up and left. I can't imagine leaving a sermon where Jesus is preaching. That's what we call in the profession getting the wooden cussing. I mean, if it had been a door there, they'd have slammed the door behind them. Left Jesus abandoned. His disciples are there, stretched out, I guess, on the front seat, which were stones. And he said, they look like toads in a hailstorm. And he said, I guess you're going to leave too. And old Peter spoke up. To whom shall we go? Oh, I tell you, Peter... Peter was in there. To whom shall we go? He, he, you, you have the words of life. He knew every road would be a dead end street if he left Jesus. Well, the weeks rushed on in the months. Next thing you know, it's time for the Last Supper in the upper room storefront down there and upstairs where they met Jesus with his disciples one of you shall betray me and they were so confounded by that they wouldn't do it he said I finally Judas Iscariot said he said I and the Lord said well what you do do quickly we've got to get this done if you're going to do it and the Lord walks out of that room down the stairs that were adjacent to the building down the rock streets out the eastern gate and down the snake-like trail that led across the Brook Kidron, once there, Gethsemane was right in front of them. They'd seen it many times. Jesus took them there to pray. This was the reason for him going there now. But as he prayed, they looked up at the eastern gate and a band of Roman soldiers are coming. I mean, the torches look like giant fireflies in the night. As they came down that trail, walked right into the garden, and before that little conversation of who I am was over, they had bound his hands to lead him away. And that's when Peter jumped forward. <laughs> King James says it was a sword that he pulled out. It probably was more like a rock pocket knife that you carry around in your pocket. But he had the thing open and he was going to fight to the death for Jesus. He took a swipe at the nearest guy. His name was Malchus, the high priest's servant. Happily for Malchus, he ducked and Simon only severed his ear. But if he'd have hit where he aimed, that guy's with a head would have rolled down the, basket, the hill like a basketball. But Jesus stooped down to pick up the ear and put it back on his head. He told Simon, put up that knife. If you live by it, you'll die by it. Many have. So he acquiesced to their arrest, and they were taken away. All the disciples left, except Peter. He followed. He said, but David, he followed far off. Yeah, he does say that. But I know too many people who have completely quit following him. Peter, at least, was at a distance. 
they got into the courtyard of Caiaphas. The Lord was being tried at a mock trial of the Sanhedrin. And he fell into conversation with these people that were around there. And as he did, there was a young girl came up to him and said, you are a disciple of Jesus. Now, I know you are. You have the dialect of a Galilean. And all of his disciples were Galileans. Jesus said, young lady, you don't know what you're talking about. But I do. I've never met him. Hmm. Well, she was pretty well convinced because she knew how strong-willed these disciples were. She went about other things, and then she came back to him and said, I'm, I'm, Sir, you are one of his disciples. I saw you with him here on the streets of Jerusalem just last week. And Simon used the language of the fisherman, reverted all the way back to him, began to swear and curse and say he had never met Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, there were three times that he did that. About then, the cock crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus said a few weeks before, that he would deny me. And the cock will crow. And when he heard it, he saw Jesus come out of the Sanhedrin, led by this mob who were taking him to Pilate, where he would be condemned to die. It broke Peter's heart. It, it, it destroyed him when he realized what he had done. He was not the kind of a man who could turn his back on Jesus and be glad he did it. I don't think I've ever met a real Christian who has ever taken a step away from Jesus but what it broke his heart. We talk about holding backsliders over hell about 45 minutes and they'll hit the ground running. They're already in hell. In their hearts, they feel so desolate. I used to know him, and I've denied him. Maybe not like that, but in a thousand and one ways, we can disappoint the Savior. Well, they carried Jesus on into Pilate's court. The Roman government would allow Jewish uh, criminals and lawbreakers to be executed but not without the signature of the Romans and that's why he went to Pilate and Pilate turned them over to the mob they took Jesus out and crucified him I've been on the streets of Jerusalem <clears throat> where they led him by I thought about if I had my back against the walls of those buildings when he came by and could hear the heavy thud of that cross as it dropped from one stone to another. What would that do for you? But he carried his own cross out, started up the hill of Golgotha. He was already weak and now trying to carry a cross too. He couldn't do it. He fell and the cross fell on him. They finally summoned the man, Simon of Serene, carry it for him. When he got to the summit, he spread eagled on that cross, felt the bite of cold steel through his palms, big spike through his feet, and they hoisted the cross up to drop it into a hole. 
And if they had not bound his wrists and ankles with the vines, his body would have ripped from the cross when they dropped it in the hole. He hangs there between heaven and earth as if he were good enough for neither. And they mocked him. Little did they know that this would be the final step in the great plan of redemption. And when Jesus died, the the resurrection was just ahead. But that's why we call that the finished work. He did everything necessary that to save you. Every one of you. But he did that to try to convince you or send me here to convince you. Quit trying to save yourself. Why try to finish a finished work? Well, here's old Peter now crestfallen. He's about to give up on his salvation and this apostleship business. He tells his brothers, I'm going to fish. And he didn't mean by that he's going to fish through the night. He meant by that, I made a mess of this. I'm going back to fishing. That's what I know to do. He went up to Galilee with some of his disciples. They were out in the deep, casting down their nets, trying to catch some fish. And Jesus comes up there where they are. Oh, I tell you, it's amazing. Here's the eternal God of heaven who scooped out the, the valleys with his hands, stacked up the mountains to give us a majestic appearance, coming up there among the cattails of Galilee looking for a backslidden preacher. I don't know how you measure the love of God, but I'll tell you what, if you see what it is, you won't back away from it. Amen. So Jesus called to him across the, the water. You know how your voice can carry across water in the early morning. Have you caught any fish? Same thing he asked them the first time you met them. And they still said, nope, we haven't caught anything. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Well, Peter and him been walking around waiting for the sun to come up and dry their nets. But with his bare feet, with his big toe, he kicked the net off its peg and it slithered down into the water. And I mean, the fish started lining up to get in. John, who was on board, said, that's the Lord. Well, Peter already knew it. He jumped out into the water and like a muskrat, swam right up to where Jesus was frying fish. He got out of the water and walked toward the master. As he approached Jesus, the Lord reached out to him. And Peter saw those nail holes. He said, Simon, do you love me? You see, he's not ready to throw Peter away at all. He's not in the business of abandoning those who have made a commitment. Do you love me? And Peter kept saying, yes, I do, Lord. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But somehow it led to something that Peter got hold of this thing with nothing but faith. I'm still loved by the master. And I can love him back. The Lord said, well, I'll tell you what, Peter, we're going to have a great revival up in Jerusalem in a few days. 
The Holy Spirit's coming like he's never been here before. And I want you to preach the sermon. <laughs> Old Peter's heart's beating so hard he can hardly believe it. And so fast it's almost coming out of his chest. You want me to go preach? Yeah. You're the one. Pretty good day to begin evangelism. 3,000 people came to the Savior through Simon Peter's message that day. And I don't know how many came to him after that, but that's, that's pretty significant to me. I've always wondered what it would be like for 3,000 to get converted to one service. I mean, when we built this auditorium, I thought we had moved to Carnegie Hall. <laughs> but what a blessing it was for Simon Peter to know they not only was right with God and the righteousness of God given to him as a gift, now could be shown through him by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what the Lord sent me over here to tell you. Just a story right out of the book. But I do want to encourage you, don't forget it. Don't forget old Simon. You're going to need him sometime. You're going to need to know that God is forgiving and if you're truly repentant and want to get back, you can be right back with him and it doesn't take anything but a sincere prayer. Now the devil will tell you it takes a lot more than that. He'll tell you you've got to go through all kind of shenanigans to even get near God, let alone come as you are. But I've never seen anywhere in the Bible the Lord didn't accept people except as they are. Why take a bath before you come to the one who does the bathing? Can you rest in Jesus today? I mean, I've been gone 11 years, I think it is. The only reason I haven't been over here to worship with you who are my dear friends it's when I leave the church, I want to turn it completely over to the new pastor. He needed that, and I would support him in the background. And what a job he's doing. Latch on to him. Love him. Let him know that you're praying for him. But Peter shows us the way back. And before we leave here, I think we're going to have some ladies sing some songs for us. And they will be coming in just a moment. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And let's don't look around anywhere because we want to respect the privacy of everyone here. Someone is saying, David, I'm so glad you brought to my mind what happened to Peter because... I've often wondered if God could ever let me get back to where I used to be. Would you pray for me because I am going to start trusting Him instead of working to save myself. I'm going to rest my soul in Jesus. Pray that God will help me not to look to my changing emotions or to my circumstances or how bad or how good I've been. Pray that God will help me simply to trust in Jesus. 
who will remember our sins no more. Anybody with heads bowed, there's a head that's up and there's another. Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? I'd like to be, yes, God bless you. David, I'd like to be in on that prayer, God bless you. I see that hand too, yes, ma'am. Anywhere else? You won't end on the prayer. I'm just going to pray. I'm not going to come and embarrass you.